Our scripture for today comes from 1 Samuel chapter 1, and it's a, it's a story about Hannah's prayer before the Lord. Now, we started a summer series on prayer a few weeks back. It began with uh, Pastor Hope talking to us about how um, Jesus prayed for his disciples to be united, to be one. We followed that up the next week with Pastor Christina preaching to us about Paul's prayer in the third chapter of Ephesians. Of course, last week was the patriotic service. And now this week, we're back on talking about prayer by looking at Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 1. So you're welcome to follow along with me in the Pew Bible. Um, I'm on page 233 of the Old Testament. There was a certain man of Ramathaim, a Zufite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. Easy for you to say. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his town to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival used to provoke her severely to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they'd eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made this vow. O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I'm a woman deeply troubled. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, <coughs> Excuse me, for I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. Then Eli answered, go in peace. The God of Israel grant the petition you've made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your sight. Then the woman went to her quarters, ate and drank with her husband, and her countenance was sad no longer. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. Elkanah knew his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I have asked him of the Lord. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, we know that you are near. We know that you hear our prayer. Lord, grant us peace in our hearts and in our restless souls. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. She just wanted a baby. It was the most important thing in her life. 
to give life to another, to bear a child, to raise a child, to expand the family, to hold, to snuggle, to cuddle, to feed, to guide, to protect and provide, to love one of her own. But it wasn't happening. Adoptions were highly unusual. Fertility clinics, of course, had not been invented. In Israel, 3,000 years ago, if a family wanted to have children, and it was not happening with the first wife, it was commonplace for a man to take a second wife. Now, I don't mean that he would divorce the first. I mean he would take a second wife. Y'all with me so far? Okay. You hear what I'm saying? Right Now, divorce was an option, that's true, okay? but it was rarely used back then because women weren't allowed to own land or to run a business. They could not make it on their own. So instead of putting the first wife out on the street, the second wife would move in with the new husband along with the first wife. I see people shaking their heads. Yeah, can you imagine? No. Imagine the pain for wife number one to have wife number two move into their home. The first wife had to feel like she was completely inadequate. In Hannah's case, the pain was made worse by the constant needling of this new rival, Penina, who would actually make fun of Hannah for being barren. It would drive her to tears. Elkanah is their common husband, and boy, was he common. Uh, He reveals just how clueless he is about the seriousness of this situation by saying to poor Hannah, why is your heart so sad? Why do you weep? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Oh, dude, you are making us look so bad. Now, every year, our not-so-happy family would go down to Shiloh to make sacrifices to the Lord. And while they're worshiping at Shiloh, Hannah would rise early in the morning to pray. In her distress and bitterness, Hannah took the initiative to bring her case before God. She assumed that the God of Israel might hear her plea, might reach out to someone who was, uh, did not have power and did not have um, any, any way of, of getting what she wanted or what she needed, that she, God might hear her, her hurt and her pain. So in her prayer, she cries out to the Lord and says, if you'll take a good hard look at me, if you'll quit neglecting me and go into action and bring me what I want, a son, I will give him completely, unreservedly, wholeheartedly back to you. I will set him apart for a holy life. Well, the priest Eli is sitting near the entrance of the sanctuary, and he hears Hannah's prayer, and he noticed that her lips are moving, but no sound is coming out, so he thinks she must have been drinking. And he tells her, quit making a drunken spectacle of yourself and get rid of your wine. And Hannah explains, I'm not drunk, haven't been drinking. She declared, I am a woman deeply troubled. I'm pouring out my soul before the Lord. She begged Eli that she not be considered a worthless woman. And Eli made a remarkable response to her by saying, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant the petition you have made to him. 
But Eli had no idea what the result would really be. How this young child that would come to be would end up changing not only Hannah's life, but Eli's life, and indeed all of Israel. Hannah left the temple much encouraged that day, feeling as though her prayer was actually going to be heard this time, that it was actually going to make a difference. She was no longer sad because she had laid out her case before God. And in due time, sure enough, Hannah bore a son. She named him Samuel, which means God has heard me. When he was weaned, she brought the infant Samuel to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and she presented him to the Lord, saying, as long as he lives, he is yours. Little did she or her husband Elkanah know that Samuel would become a great prophet, an an intermediary between God and his people. The story teaches us that at the point of our discouragement, at the point of our disappointment, at the point of our lowest despair, is the place of God's beginning. It is not about getting the right spiritual practices or unlocking the latest key to faith from some new hip author or preacher. As Hannah reveals, it is simply about honestly expressing our need to God. And in doing so, Hannah recognized that wholeness in her life lay beyond the things that she can and cannot control and instead rests in God himself. In Hannah's darkest hour, she came to the Lord and poured out her soul. She defined herself as a woman deeply troubled. She felt because of her barrenness that she was a worthless woman. She explained to Eli, I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and misery all this time. All I want is for God to remember me. Many have felt that way. They have felt that discouragement. They have felt that despair. They felt that desperation that Hannah felt at that moment. Now, the barrenness that you labor under may not be the need for a child, or it may be, but it can also be the lack of accomplishment or achievement in your life. One's sense of worthlessness or worthiness can result from the inability to reach one's goals, one's ambitions. It might come from experiencing setbacks, failures, the unkind words, that caustic criticism from your rivals can cause you to weep and lose your appetite just as Hannah did. How easy it is to slip into this attitude of worthlessness to think, I'm not getting it done. But this is a story of God's grace. It is a story of how God's grace came to Hannah at the darkest moment of her life. It can also be the story of God's grace to you, and that is good news. It is a story of the dynamic grace that can transform the hope and transform the future, and transform all that is to be in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our despair. God remembered Hannah. In her darkest moment, she made her greatest discovery. Like, God did not forget her. God heard her cry. God knew her misery. God answered her prayer. And what God did for Hannah I believe God can do for you. We learn from Hannah the persistence that is needed to claim God's grace. 
Hannah was persistent because she felt she finally at last had God's attention, which is referenced in the prayer, O Lord of hosts, if only you will look upon your servant and remember me. You know, Jesus taught that we always have God's attention, right? God's already aware of our needs. He talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, your father knows what you need even before you ask him. Job in the Old Testament felt that he didn't have God's attention either. Out of his pain and anguish, he cried, Oh, that I knew where I might find him. Habakkuk, an Old Testament prophet, felt he didn't have God's attention. He wanted to know where he could find God in the midst of all of the violence that he saw around him. He cried out, Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help? His book starts with a deep sigh and a heavy heart. God appeared to each of these. Throughout the Bible, people discover what Hannah discovered, that God is not remote and God is not reluctant. God is near and God is listening. The fact is, God isn't removed from any of us. And God is certainly not disinterested in any of us. What is needed on our part is not a relentless beating on the door of heaven, but rather what is needed is for us to simply know that God is that God exists, that God cares, that God remembers. E. Stanley Jones tells about the prayer of a little girl who was the daughter of a missionary friend of his in India. And she prayed one night, she said, God bless my parents, my brother and my sister, my friends and our whole world. And now God, please take care of yourself for if anything ever happened to you, we'd be in a terrible mess. She knew God was near and attentive. She shared with God her greatest concern. However, Hannah reveals to us that there is a truthful persistence that is required to claim God's grace. It comes from trust. Hannah's story presents us with, a, I think, a simple yet profound theme. That prayer will quiet and comfort the most restless soul. Hannah admitted to Eli that she was a deeply troubled woman. She was troubled and tormented from without by her rival, Penina. She was troubled and tormented from within through a, a lack of self-esteem, a, a, a giant sense of doubt. She had such strong doubts about herself that she felt that other people considered her worthless. She's the victim of jealousy and misunderstanding. And yet, in the midst of all of that, something remarkable happened. She came to the house of the Lord. She poured out her soul. And she, finally, Eli the priest came to her and said, go in peace. What changed? Why was she no longer downcast? Why was her countenance sad no longer, said the Bible? Because she knew that God had heard her prayer. And after all this time, that's what brought her peace. Not an answer to the prayer. The fact that she could simply present her case before God. I think many times it is the offering of prayer that brings us peace, not the answer to prayer. Stay with me. Peace is not the result of God answering prayer, but peace comes in the very act of turning things over to God. Hannah didn't know if she was ever going to get an answer to her prayer. She didn't know the outcome. Eli told her something, but she didn't really know. What she knew was that God remembered her and that God was listening. 
She encountered God in that prayer. And that's what brought her peace. Where did Hannah make this discovery? Well, it was right in the midst of her everyday life. Right in the midst of all of this pain and despair. Richard Foster in his book, Prayer, reminds us that the discovery of God lies in the daily and the ordinary, not in the spectacular or the heroic. He goes on to say, if we can't find God in the routine of home and shop, then we will not find him at all. I think that's true. We cannot clean ourselves up and come to God. We can't somehow lift ourselves up to God. Instead, God comes to us. That's the meaning of the incarnation, right? That God came to us, looks us in the eye and says, where does it hurt? How can I help? Hannah prayed to God in the midst of her troubled life. And it was there that she encountered God in prayer. She was no longer sad. After Eli admonished Hannah to go in peace, he assured her that not only did God hear her prayer, but also that God was going to answer her prayer. In due time, she had a son. She named him Samuel. And she brought the infant to the house of worship and presented him to the Lord. Hannah told the Lord that Samuel would be God's for as long as he lived. Hannah's response to the gift of God's grace in her life was to turn around and return that grace to God. Could we do the same? We too must give back what we've received. This would include worship, which is the giving back of grace as praise. It would include offering, which is a giving back of grace as a recognition for what we've received. It includes service, which is a giving back of our time and our talent back into the community. We are the recipients of God's grace. That means we also need to become dispensers of that grace as well. If we attempt to hold on and keep that grace as a possession, we are sure to lose it. God's grace was manifested to Hannah in the person of Samuel. And he brought so much blessing to her, as well as ending the plight of her barrenness and the disgrace and hurt that she felt in the community. But Hannah was able to do something that many people in the world would find strange. And that was to return that grace back to God. Samuel became a blessing in that way, not just to Hannah, but to the entire country of Israel. Likewise, as a community of faith, we must become less concerned over how many have received God's grace and more concerned over how many we are dispensing God's grace to. How are we building up the community? It is Jesus who reminds us, from everyone to whom much has been given, much will be required. Or I like the way Spider-Man's uncle puts it, He says, with great power comes great responsibility, right? Yeah. People talk a lot about unanswered prayers in this world. But when we are tormented and full of anguish, what do we do when we finally get an answer to our prayers? When we finally catch a break? When we finally get some peace? When our barren souls are finally filled? Are we willing to do as Hannah did? And give that grace back to God to build up the community of faith? What will you do 
when God answers your prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. As holy and loving God, we know that you are near even now. That you are present in this place. And that you are listening. In the midst of our anguish and our pain. In the midst of our struggle and despair. Lord, you know our prayers even before we ask them. And our ignorance in asking. Lord, we want to be heard. We want to be remembered. We want to feel your presence in our life. And know that you will bring us peace. Help us, Lord, to settle our restless souls, our confused minds, our misunderstood hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our service will continue this morning with Holy Communion, so I invite you to turn with me to page 12 in your hymnal. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Church, merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. And we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's continue to pray in silence. Now hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. Turning over to 13. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering death and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which Jesus gave himself up for us, he took bread. He gave thanks to God, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup. He gave thanks to God, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, 
We offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world, the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. I'm going to ask those who are going to help if they'll come forward now and remind you that the bread which we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. And the cup of salvation for which we give thanks is a sharing in the blood of Christ. Here at Wrightsville United Methodist Church, uh, every month as we have communion, we have communion through a, a system that we call intinction, which means you'll be invited to come down by the ushers. And um, as you come forward, you'll be handed a piece of the bread, and you take the bread and just dip it gently into the cup, and then you consume the elements, and you can come here for a time of prayer, or you can return to your seat for a time of prayer. It's a special meal and a special time an opportunity to be closer to one another and to our Lord. So come, taste and see that the Lord is good.